This is Nick Law, and you're listening to the Hot Forward Podcast, getting you ahead in the brewing and beer business. Hotforward.beer is a podcast and website dedicated to the beer industry, supporting budding beer entrepreneurs by gaining insights from experienced brewers and folk within the craft beer industry. So grab a glass, pour yourself a beer, and let's get into this week's episode. Hey everyone, it's Nick here from the Hot Four Podcast. I wanted to start with a little story this week. Um, back in the 80s when I was small, I used to wait for the bus at the bottom of Castle Market in Sheffield with my mum going back home to Stocksbridge. And there was this smell in the air that used to drive me absolutely batty. And I remember saying, oh mum, what is that smell? And she said, oh, it's the smell of the brewery. Because opposite the bus stop on the other side of the river was Whitbread Brewery. So the smell of boiling wort and hops and the smell of fermentation was really heavy and pungent in the air. And I used to be like, oh, do we have to wait here? Can't we get the bus from somewhere else? And it was a resounding no. I had to suck it up and just deal with it. So I remember the first time I home brewed and that smell sort of wafted from my kitchen. I was like, that smell, I, I remember that smell. I love that smell. And it was like all my childhood came back into play all at once. Um, so that's one of the reasons I really love brewing. And one of the other reasons I really love brewing is this. So for this episode, we're talking to Casey from Imperial Yeast, which is a uh, yeast cultivator in Portland, Oregon. And in the episode, she mentioned that they have a whiteboard in their office with loads of yeast puns. So I was like, I wonder if I can find some yeast puns online. So obviously we all know Yeasty Boys, possibly one of the best yeast puns there is. Um, But I thought, I wonder what other sort of yeast puns I can find. So if you Google yeast puns, one of the first sites that comes up is uh, topfermented.com forward slash tag forward slash puns and there's a big list of quote-unquote beer films with puns so i thought i'd start the podcast off today with a little humor and read some of them out so here are some of the yeast puns as contributed by various members of this website um of famous films so you've got malt disney's snow vice and the seven words the duvel wears parada silence of the lambics beauty and the yeast School of Bock. I had to do my chores today, and now I'm really ticked off. Harry Potter and the Half Pint Prince. Amazing. Um, the Big Lebruski. Not bad. You could rate these out of 10 if you want. Beer and Foaming in Las Vegas. That's good. Um, what else have we got here? Mrs. Stoutfire. Amazing. Generally, I love you. Hop Gun. There will be Trub. Barley and Me, Robohop, Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doombar, and Reservoir Box. I mean, you can go on there and look them up. I thought there'd be more yeast puns than this. Um, so maybe you'll just have to wait. Yeast is yeast. That's one. Maybe you'll just have to wait until uh, Casey goes in heavy at the end with their amazing amazing yeast pun so we're talking all about yeast this week and i'm sure there's not a brewer out there who isn't obsessed with yeast Uh, you've probably come across the old adage that brewers make wort but yeast make beer which is true but as a brewer you've obviously got a lot of control over your yeast strains and how they ferment Uh, getting to know your yeast and handling it properly is absolutely foundational to brewing great beer again and again so you should treat it like an employee like if you take care of it it will take care of you. 
So before we crack open today's episode, I'd highly encourage you, if you haven't already, to pick up a copy of Yeast, uh, the Practical Guide to Beer Fermentation, which is part of the Brewing Elements series published by the Brewers Association. It's written by Chris White and Jamil Zainashef, which if you say confident and fastly, no one will notice that you don't know how to pronounce their surname. But it's a highly practical guide that should be your go-to reference book for fermentation and yeast. Having said that, there are lots of people in the industry who are super smart and have degrees with more initials after the name than the alphabet, one of which is Casey Helwig from Imperial Yeast. Imperial Yeast are passionate about developing pitchable yeasts for home brewers up to pro brewers. And I think you'll really like today's episode where we discuss everything from dried yeast versus wet yeast, lager in, sour beers and what to do when it all goes wrong. Uh, so, as ever, check out hotforward.beer for more podcasts like this one. Sign up to our mailing list where I'll be sending out some free stuff for you that I hope you'll find useful. And follow us on social media at hotforwardbeers. So, without further ado, here's today's yeast of an episode. Get it? Yeast? Beast of an episode? Oh, come on! Guinness who's coming for dinner? Yeast is yeast. The Empire Strikes Back. Oh, whatever. Oh, roll the tape. My guest on the show today is uh, Casey Helwig from Imperial Yeast. How's it going, Casey? It's great, thanks. How are you? Good. Yeah, I'm, I'm good, thank you. Um, you you were saying before how the weather is up in uh, Portland, Oregon. I'm sure a lot of British people can uh, relate to uh, the, how, how grey and overcast it is up there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think our summers are a little bit nicer, though. Yeah, probably. Yeah. Although we had a we had a cracking summer last year. It was like really really hot like for weeks on end. So uh, but the thing is with the Brits is is kind of we complain all the time about the weather. So it's if it's you know, oh it's too cold. If it's hot, it's oh man, it's so hot. Like we're never, <laughs> never happy. Pleased. Never never pleased. But you know, it was it was it was great for selling beer um last summer. Absolutely oh, fantastic. I bet. Yeah, you can imagine. Yeah. Um yeah, so yeah, thanks for joining us on the podcast today. Um, tell us a little bit about Imperial Yeast, how long you've been going, what you guys do there, that kind of thing. Uh, yeah, so we uh, we make yeast um, for both professional brewers and um, home brewers, so amateur brewers. Uh, we've been in business since 2015, uh, making yeast and selling yeast to, uh, to professional breweries and home brewers since uh june of that year so um uh coming up on on uh four and a half years this summer uh it's it's great uh company was founded by three individuals who used to work for Y yeast another pretty big yeast lab here in the u.s um Y yeast is actually located in the northwest as well so they're they're just out in hood river oregon um but uh yeah the the three guys that founded the company um kind of had some ideas on how they could do things better um, in terms of service and um, technical support, uh, pitch rates, cell counts, um, and uh, and decided to split off and, and go their own way. And thus Imperial was born. Um, so that's kind of uh, what we do, um, uh, make yeast uh, for fermentation, specifically beer. Great. Obviously yeast is at the heart of any brewery, um, but to work in a yeast production facility, I'm not even sure how you describe it. Is that how you describe it, a yeast f- production facility, or what do you guys call it? <laughs> we, we call it the yeast lab, but the uh, okay. production facility works just fine. Yeast lab, okay. Um, like that, that must be quite a uni- unique experience, right? I mean, what, what does your typical day 
of cultivating, harvesting and packaging yeast for commercial sale or home brewers look like? Yeah, um, I can kind of just walk you through uh, our process. Um, so we'll get a culture in-house. Um, cultures are sent to us from all over the world, uh, breweries that are um, isolating wild yeast, um, uh, other yeast labs from uh, you know around the United States and also national banks. Um, so we'll get a pure culture in. Uh, what we'll do is plate it out, um, uh, select just a few um, colony forming units, CFUs, mm. uh, and bank that. And so we'll create two slants at that time, just a simple auger slant. Um, uh, one goes in our negative 80 Celsius uh, freezer, uh, and that's our bank. We've got a couple hundred strains in there. And then one goes into our working um, slant bank, and that's where we start all of our propagations. Uh, when we're ready to start a propagation, we'll, we'll grab that slant out of the fridge, pull a sample, um, and inoculate just a, a small test tube. Um, so if you can imagine a you know 50 mil, 100 yeah. mil test tube, um, we inoculate that the small amount of growth media um, and just if you've ever made a yeast starter it's pretty much the same process so we start with a small amount of growth media and just step it up over uh, a co the course of a few days into a larger amount um, and then that inoculates um, conical fermenters much like you would find in a brewery and that's where we um, propagate the bulk of our yeast yep so it just goes from a couple cells you know, over the course of a few days to, you know, a couple, couple uh, hundred billion cells. And then from there, it goes into, you know, a, a tank ranging in size from two barrels to 30 barrels right, wow. in size. So what's the sort of turnaround time? If you get a brewery that comes to you like, we need like this yeast, you know, by tomorrow, <laughs> like what's the sort of quickest turnaround time? Because obviously it's, it has to grow at a certain rate. Otherwise, you're going to problems on. Right, right. Uh, so standard propagation time is is about 10 to 14 days uh but if you take a look at our website we've got about 27 strains that we try and keep in stock on a regular basis mm. uh just to make ordering and lead times easier for for commercial breweries to deal with and so often we'll have bulk yeast on the shelf ready to ship um asap and so typically somebody can call us on a monday and we'll ship on a tuesday and they'll have it on a wednesday amazing so I should imagine there's a lot of pressure to get it right. I mean, like a lot of pressure. Because, I mean, if you guys just have a contamination that went into the market, that could be catastrophic throughout the entire supply chain, right? Absolutely. Um, because there was a story, wasn't there? Um, it might have been last year or the year before about one of the other major yeast suppliers. I'm not going to name names, um, <laughs> but I'm sure our listeners can Google it and find out who it was, um, yeah. where a pretty major brewery in the States had complained and, and because they'd isolated the problem back to the yeast culture. So, I mean, what, what, what do you guys do to make sure that every single batch that's cultivated meets the high standards? <laughs> I should say that uh, that is still an ongoing lawsuit. Oh, is so, it? Um, yeah, uh, just you know, out of out of uh, solidarity for the other yeast lab, uh, they they still haven't been found as the culprit. But um, what we do, our QC process is pretty thorough and very stringent, and so we have two steps in our in our quality control quality assurance process. Um, the first step being 
we plate on multiple different medias that allow or disallow for the for the growth of certain microorganisms. So think wild yeast, um, bacteria, uh, mold, um, and then also just, you know, uh, if we accidentally cross contaminated two different ale strains. Mm. Um, and so that's step one, those multiple uh, different growth medias that we plate on. And then step two is uh, PCR analysis. And basically what that is doing is it's um, uh, identifying a, a certain section of the, uh, the strain's um, genetic structure and um, looking for certain genes. And the one in particular that you're, that you're referring to is uh, Saccharomyces cerevisiae diastaticus um and that that particular um variant on saccharomyces cerevisiae uh can cause all sorts of issues but the main one being re-fermentation in the bottle and thus exploding packages you know bottles cans kegs um and so our pcr analysis looks for that particular gene wow so I think if you ask any commercial brewer about yeast, you, you're going to get such a huge variety of answers. I mean, some will have a sort of biological science degrees, while whilst others will simply know that if you if I add an X amount of yeast to Y beer, then I'll get Z and it'll ferment. Um, how, uh-huh. much, how much information should a brewer look to devour and amass when it comes to yeast in general? <laughs> uh you know that's a good question like should they go full on nerd or or like you know like where where do you end with it i mean i'm gonna advocate for full-on nerd um just because you know uh i think the important um the important thing to to be aware of in brewing you know in any regard is uh is consistency Mm. and so um knowing that yeast ferments a wort and turns it into beer, the the lovely, delicious beverage that we all know, um, is step one. Um, And then step two, knowing how much you're inoculating each batch with and you're doing that with consistency and your process is the same each time, I think is far more important than being able to um, break down uh, the exact, you know, chemical and uh, biological process that yeast is doing every time it ferments Mm. wort. A lot of brewers, for for various reasons, use dried yeast exclusively uh-huh. in their brew houses. I mean, what are some of the advantages and disadvantages of using dried yeast? Uh, you know, dried yeast is great. Um, it, uh, I think, the biggest advantage is just shelf life. Hmm. Um, you can you can store a brick of dry yeast um, in your brewery for for years and years and years, and uh, and pull it out and inoculate a batch and have fermentation rocking and rolling. Um, so I think that's probably the biggest advantage of dried yeast is just uh, its longevity. Yeah. What about the disadvantages of it? Uh, you know, there are many, but I think the largest one would be uh, just the restriction to how many strains are available. Yep. Um, as as we all know, um, yeast attributes, you know, 75% plus of the uh, aroma and flavor profile of a finished mm. product. Um, and certain strains contribute um, far more or far less or, you know, these juicy characteristics or spicy characteristics or, you know, banana in the case of a, you know, German Hefeweizen strain. Yeah. Um, and I think that on the on the dry side, you're you're limited to only a few available strains to ferment your work. Yeah. So what's the reason that you only get certain strains that will, um, from a scientific point of view, that will hydrate 
uh, the drying process is pretty uh, pretty tough on yeast cells, and so there's certain strains that um, that take well to the process, and certain strains that don't. And so, um, in order for uh, a yeast lab to dry a a strain and market it as a viable option for brewers, um, that that yeast strain needs to be hardy and survive that drying process. Right. Okay. Do you think? If a brewer's listening to this and they think, actually, I want to move on from using dried yeast to a wet yeast strain, like what considerations should they make if they've never done that before? And they're taking that step to thinking, actually, I, I want to go for more interesting strains or whatever. Um, I would think about the different types of beer that you're making um, and choosing a house strain that uh, will work well in a variety of different styles. Um, there's a pretty big price difference between uh, dried yeast and liquid yeast. And so uh, making sure that you're going to be able to harvest and repitch a liquid pitch from a, from a yeast lab for multiple generations is probably the biggest consideration. That and flavor profile. Yeah. So again, for, for brewers that are using dried yeast strains, have, have never really had to think about cropping their yeast. And how, how would you sort of describe the harvesting process for, you know, because we do get a lot of sort of startup breweries that have been home brewers using, you know, um, Safeo USO5 or mm-hmm. not your male yeast or whatever. And, um, and they've never cropped anything themselves. So what, what, what sort of advice would you give to somebody sort of first looking to crop yeast because I, I know when I started as a home brewer it was a little bit like uh, the first time I crop yeast took the fermenter lid off it was a little bit do you not see in Apollo 11 where it's like they've got to keep the <laughs> they've got the thrusters on they've got to keep the moon in the window and it's like don't panic <laughs> <laughs> uh, I think um, I'll answer this question with my favorite uh, answer in the in the brewing industry is it just depends um Harvesting yeast and repitching, there's so many factors that you need to to, to keep in in mind. Um, but, you know, the major ones, uh, what kind of vessel you're fermenting in. Um, are you fermenting in a, in a dish bottom or a conical bottom fermenter? Uh, what kind of method you're going to use to uh, extract the yeast from the tank, whether that's um, pulling from the bottom of the cone or are you top cropping? Um, and then... Uh, what kind of vessel you're going to store uh, the the slurry in, how long you're going to store that slurry, where you're going to store that slurry, and then how are you going to quantify that slurry to repitch your next batch of yeah. beer? Um, and so there's so many factors there. Uh, you know, I think um, there's a really you know there's a lot of really great resources either online in in brewing publications uh, that you can read. Um, I'd also we're happy to help folks figure this out um it's it's a big step in in your brewing process to be able to harvest and repitch yeast um and one that definitely should be taken seriously um making sure your process uh, as far as cleaning and sanitation is is on point um is huge reach out to us um we're more than happy to set you up with your particular brewery your particular process uh for success every time you're you're harvesting and repitching yeast so you touched upon this in your answer a little bit but like a lot of bigger breweries can do Mm -hmm. yeast um counts for viability to ensure Mm -hmm. the yeast strains are healthy and free of contamination and so Mm -hmm. on however there are still a lot of breweries out there who don't have that um what what advice would you give to a smaller brewery say that 
can't necessarily afford a decent microscope, but they want to start repitching yeast. Like, do you think they need to bite the bullet and buy a microscope and learn how to do all that? Or do you think they can kind of wing it and just sort of hope for the best? <laughs> Obviously, I'm, I'm not recommending that at all, just as a disclaimer, but... Uh, I don't think you need to have a uh, microscope, a hemocytometer. I don't think you need to have a, a you know, um, high-tech lab. Uh, that equipment does not cost a ton of money, and you can do it. You can set up yourself, um, your lab for yourself for pretty cheap. But uh, if you're not um, going to go that route, uh, you can pitch cone to cone, um, or you can harvest your yeast and pitch by weight. Mm. Uh, that's typically what I'll recommend folks do. Um, so if you're not quantifying with a microscope and a hemocytometer, running cell counts and viability checks, uh, pitch by weight, and typically, you know, a good rule of thumb is a kilo per barrel right. of yeast slurry into uh, into your batch of, of wort. Yeah. But I also would add to that that consistency is really important. And doing things the same way every single time and taking really, really good notes uh, is where you're going to save yourself tons and tons of heartache and trouble um, when things go wrong because you're able to refer to your notes and say, you know what, maybe that slurry was a little bit thin and I pitched a kilo per barrel, but it was a thin slurry and it was generation eight and maybe that yeast was was a little bit unhealthy. Um, and and the next time you can, you can refer to your notes and ramp up uh, uh, the quantity per barrel yeah. that you're pitching at. I mean, what would you advise to breweries out there where particularly when they're sort of smaller outfits which are going to struggle a little bit more into logistically just because of the time constraints you know there's, there's one thing brewing beer but you know i know brewers that are brewing the beer delivering it mm-hmm. making the sales and all the rest of it you know t- taking care of liquid yeast is a full-time job doing acid washes and all the rest of it um you know to, to keep your yeast healthy like what what would you sort of recommend to, to breweries in that kind of position? Do you think they should sort of um, stay clear of using a liquid yeast strain? Or, I mean, what, what can they put in place um, <laughs> just to make sure that, you know, their fermentations are vigorous and healthy? Yeah, uh, well, I'm a liquid yeast producer, so I'm just going to tell you it should buy liquid yeast. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, that being said, uh, I think you should do what makes sense for, for your brewery. You know, everybody's different. Um, and if if you're a brewery, uh, brewer owner, uh, but you're also the, the taproom um, tap guy slinging beer across the bar, uh, and you're also the salesperson and the marketing person, um, and you're wearing all of the hats, you know, add in um, changes to your process where it makes sense. Yeah. Um, if it's really important to you that you have a certain um, expression of flavor and aroma, uh, and, and you're only going to find that with liquid yeast, then, then contact a liquid yeast supplier, um, pick their brain, uh, make sure you're, you're going to get your money's worth. Um, uh, you know, I, I don't think that it needs to be a full-time job by any means taking care of, of, of yeast. I think that uh, if you do it smartly um, and set up your, your brewing schedule so that you're harvesting and you're repitching within a, a couple of days, um, you can easily expect to get, you know, five generations or more out of your yeast um, and, and have it be happy and healthy the whole time yeah. with minimal effort. Yeah. What should a brewery look for in a good yeast strain? I mean, I know that's like asking how long a piece of string is, but what <laughs> you know, what what are the sort of primary things um, when making that jump? Uh, I would look at um, 
styles of beer you're producing? Uh, you know, do they tend to be all over the map, you know, ales, lagers, uh, Belgians, um, or do they kind of tend to focus in on, you know, more of the ale side of things? So you're producing IPAs and pales and ESBs and browns and stouts and porters. Um, and if it's, if it's more along that kind of like general ale family, you can select a yeast strain that will work for pretty much all of those those beer styles. And second thing you want to consider is flocculation, flocculation rates, um, attenuation, um, how hardy that strain is, um, and, uh, and and how easy it is to harvest and repitch. Um, does it have a long long term viability, um, or is it a little bit of a you know delicate strain and and loses its viability quickly? So there there are a number of things to consider, but I would I would start with what kind of styles of beer you make. Um, yeah, that kind of leads on nicely to the next question because I think there's a huge demand from consumers for different beer styles and varieties, and um, you know m- many of which can only be achieved with a particular yeast strain. What advice would you give to a brewery that might be wanting to keep multiple yeast strains in circulation? Because the, obviously the, they're not cheap, um, but so, you know some of these beers like lagers or German styles or Belgian styles or New England IPAs all you know all demand a certain type of yeast. Uh, I think it comes down to just managing your brew schedule um, and making sure that you're brewing a beer, harvesting as soon as you can, um, storing that yeast in a in a happy environment, you know, in a in a cooler at um, close to close to one degree Celsius as possible, um, and then repitching that that yeast strain as soon as you can. So I think it comes down to just logistically organizing your brewing schedule so that you're brewing a bunch of ales in a row and then a couple of lager, you know, a lager and then a bunch of ales and then a lager and, um, kind of, uh, being designing your brew schedule, not only around production needs, but also the, uh, the yeast, um, health needs as well. Yeah. Now there's been quite an appetite, um, over the last few years for sour beers and wild Mm -hmm. ales like never before, meaning that, Many brewers are taking a foray into the world of kettle souring, barrel aging, adding Breton overseas to beers and for some barnyard funk. Um, should brewers be worrying about cross-contamination? I mean, Brewdog built an entire separate wild beer facility, you know. Um, <laughs> what, obviously, I don't think most brewers are in the position to do that. Um, so what no. can a brewer do to eliminate the possibility of cross-contamination? Yeah, they absolutely should be concerned with cross-contamination. That's a, that's a big uh a big issue not to be taken lightly. Um, I think that if you have proper sanitation and cleaning practices, uh, 95% of the time you should be good to go. Uh, a lot of breweries will go an extra step and have a whole nother set of soft parts, um, mainly brewery hose, um, bottle filling equipment uh, that is dedicated to just the funky stuff. Right. Um, and, and that's kind of what I would recommend is, is, is going that route, just kind of an extra safeguard, uh, so that you don't end up with Britannomyces in your, in your lager beer. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, if worse came to worse and a brewery discovered that all its beers start to develop a bit of a sort of horse blanket tang, like what would you suggest? Uh, just remarket yourself as a, as a farmhouse brewery. Right. <laughs> there you go. There's the answer. <laughs> Excellent. I love it. It's like our best bitters have now got you. Oh dear. Um, 
moving on to another sort of predicted trend um i was at a beer festival last year in the uk called dark city it's a festival that serves only dark beers most of which are like massive badass imperial stouts um but when me and my friend yeah it it was amazing um when me and my friend paddy who also does some stuff on the podcast uh, managed to blag our way into the brewery itself all the brewers were drinking lager um so craft lagers are sort of threatening to be the next big thing in beer um, so very much like sour beers, I'm sure we're about to see an influx of brewers turning their hand to lagering. Um, how, how should an ale brewer with little and next to no experience brewing lagers, of which there are many, um, how should they approach fermentation and maturation? I mean, because there's absolutely no place to hide with those bad boys, is there? For sure. Um, uh, you know, a lager, lager doesn't provide that screen of hops or a screen of, of, of big, dark, uh, roasty malt character to, uh, to hide behind. Um, you know, I think that it's important to recognize what a lager strain is going to need um, in order to be happy and healthy. But for most brewers, at least here in the U.S., uh, you know, brewing in stainless steel conical fermenters that are glycol jacketed, uh, they can dial in fermentation temperature fairly easy. And so just recognizing that that tank is going to be filled up with beer for much longer than it would um, if it had an ale inside of it, Mm. um, uh, I think that's probably the biggest consideration, Um, you know, just recognizing that it's going to take a little bit more time and then also uh, fermenting at cooler temperatures. Yeah. And I suppose you've got to think about doing a diastyl rest as well. um, Absolutely. I mean, I... Yeah, I recommend acid arrest not only when brewing lagers, but also when brewing ales. Mm-hmm. Um, it's I think it's a good practice. No one wants to be drinking uh, a glass full of diacetyl. No, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, so moving back to general sort of yeast questions, what are some of the problems brewers can encounter with their yeasts? Oh man, there's a, there's many. Um, uh, but I would I would say that the biggest problem is uh, under attenuation due to under pitching. Right. Um, and, and not giving uh, your wort enough, uh, your, your yeast enough, um, I guess, partners in crime to be, to <laughs> have, be happy and healthy. Um, I, I would say that the biggest issue uh, I hear over and over again is just uh, underperforming yeast, slow fermentations, um, uh, off flavor production, whether that's, you know, uh, a lot of diacetyl or sulfur. Um, you know, I saw, uh, amyl acetate, uh, you know, yeast stress, um, can produce a whole array of sometimes pleasant, but most of the time unpleasant, uh, uh, characteristics in far in, as far as flavor and aroma profile goes. Um, you know, that's, that's probably the biggest problem that brewers face is just, uh, yeast stress due to under pitching. Yeah. How are brewers best? troubleshooting their yeast issues because it, it can be such an unknown quantity especially if for whatever reason the yeast that you you normally you know ferments out really well you know it attenuates really well and, and flocculates like a beast and or you know just settles to the bottom all of a sudden for whatever reason does its own thing like what how how are brewers best sort of troubleshooting that ah uh. million dollar question (laughs) (laughs) um you know that's a really good question i think i think that 
brewers can depend on the fact that the brewing community is so open and willing to share experiences and um, advice and knowledge uh, that I would just talk with people. Um, you know, other than trial and error and just being a, an experienced brewer um, and having kind of had to deal with a whole array of, of difficulties and, and, and issues over the years, um, talking with your fellow brewers, whether that's your homebrew club or the local craft brewers um, guild or organization, uh, there are so many different people that have different um, experiences that you can draw knowledge from. Um, that to me is a fantastic way to troubleshoot. Um, also give your, you know, give your suppliers a call. Uh, you know, if it's a, if it's a weird hop characteristic, give your hop supplier a call. If it's a, it's a funny malt thing and you're seeing, you know, uh, different levels of protein, give your, give your malt supplier a call. Um, you know, if it's a yeast thing, give your yeast supplier a call. Uh, Generally speaking, suppliers are going to be um, very knowledgeable, A, in what their product is, and also B, wanting to help their customers make better beer mm. and figure out what the problem is. Yeah. So just a few general sort of questions about beer and the U.S. beer industry at the minute. I mean, um, how, how are things going over there? You know, what's how, how's the market in the States? Well, do you like hazy IPAs? Um, I did until we got loads of them from New England, yeah. <laughs> and now everyone's making British versions of them. Um, things are, you know, the, the the craft brewing scene in the in the US is definitely, um, you know, reaching kind of a, a unprecedented levels. I think that there's more breweries in the US now, finally, than there were before Prohibition started. Right. Okay, um, and that's so, quite a big deal. Uh, it's huge. You know, there's breweries, I mean, in Portland, Oregon, for example, I think we have a hundred breweries in our city limits and over 150 in the metropolitan area. Cause you've got more um, breweries per capita in Portland than anywhere else. Haven't you? I know Chicago has got the most amount of breweries, but I uh -huh. think, I think you've got think, more yeah, per capita. Probably per capita. I, I honestly don't know, but it, I wouldn't, uh, not believe that that statistic. That's for sure. Um, but, you know, the, the brewing trends in the United States are, are focused on hops for the most part. Um, you know, the big craze recently has been the New England style IPAs that are hazy and they're juicy and they're, they're not so bitter and they've got a really nice, like, soft, uh, uh, thick mouth feel. Um, uh, and then last summer, kind of the antithesis of that was a Brut IPA, which are super dry and... Um, uh, have have almost no body, no mouthfeel to them whatsoever. Uh, that are that are a whole lot more bitter um, and kind of just like this, uh, you know, the the yang to uh, the the New yeah, England sure. style <laughs> IPAs yin. Um, uh, but you mentioned craft loggers. I think that that's going to be something that we should continue to watch. Um, I'm certainly excited about it. I think lager beer for anybody brewer or not in the industry um is is typically our go-to so i'm excited to uh, to see more craft loggers in the marketplace i think it's great it it kind of feels like a slow train coming i think with um you know well-brewed lagers um because you know it's it's kind of been talked about for years that we're gonna get craft lager craft lager is gonna take off but i've, I've not seen an influx of it so mm -hmm. far, what, why, why do you think that is that it's kind of like we're always on the cusp of that breaking out, but not quite? 
Oh man, you're probably going to, this is a cynical answer, I think, but, uh, I think especially in the United States, the, the craft market has always been on the hops, you know, the, the golden ingredient of, of us craft beer is hops. Um, and, and lagers, you're not really looking for, you know, that beautiful hop aroma and flavor and bitterness. Um, you're looking for a balanced beer and, and when you talk about the flavor profiles, um, typically you're, you're talking about malt characteristic, not hop mm. characteristic. So I think that it's probably due to the fact that, um, especially in the U S uh, you know, the big brands, Budweiser, Miller, Coors, they're buying up these, these breweries around the United States that are known for making these fantastic IPAs and, and what craft has kind of come to, to, to mean in the United States is a hoppy IPA, not a lager, but two of my favorite breweries in the whole world are, are here in the Northwest Occidental Brewing and uh, Heater Allen Brewing, and they make exclusively lager beer. Oh, okay. So Imperial Yeast, do you brew beers there for any other reasons other than sort of test testing yeast? Uh, consumption. Right. Okay. So, <laughs> um, we so our process when we're when we're making our media our growth media for the yeast um, uh, looks a whole lot like brewing beer, um, uh, but it's a single vessel. We use dried malt extract and and sugar. Um, as our, as our main, um, sugar sources, uh, we don't brew or brew beer on a, on a large scale. We do have a, a small homebrew system, uh, set up here that will run test batches, uh, on new and different yeast strains. Um, uh, we try and homebrew as much as we can just to, to a have, have beer on draft to drink, um, and B to, to, to kind of put the the new strains that we're bringing to the market through their paces, you know, yep. cold versus warm fermentations, uh, pitrate, um, what styles of beer that they're most suited for. Um, and then once we have kind of done a little bit of R and D, uh, we'll often send, uh, these yeast strains out to a few breweries in the Portland area to brew on their larger systems. Right. And so they're able to give us, um, you know, real market feedback from a professional brewery, um, professional breweries perspective. And so does it, is it easy to use in the brew house? Does it flocculate? Well, cause it, can you harvest it easily? Um, does it, uh, lose its viability quickly or does it, uh, does it keep its, uh, strong viability for, for multiple generations? Um, you know, does it make a really nice uh, uh, lager beer? Does it make a really nice a- uh, ale? Um, so often we'll do a little bit of R&D here, but for the most part, we we have um, brewers out in the marketplace do that for us. Yeah. Last question then. What's the most interesting yeast story you have? <laughs> we did a experiment last summer for the um, National Homebrewers Conference. Mm. Uh, here in the U.S., we called it insane in the strain, and we actually made. <laughs> that's really... We like our puns. That's, I know that's brilliant. <laughs> that's brilliant. I know a guy who runs a brewery called Yeasty Boys, and I thought that was yeah. the best pun. But um, yeah, Stu <laughs> will be all over that. <laughs> um, so what we did was we brewed two different worts. Uh, 
one was a hazy IPA wort and one was just a standard West Coast IPA wort. Uh, and then we inoculated those worts with eight different yeast strains, um, running the gambit from ale strain to lager to Belgian. Um, that sounds and, a little bit like the Royal Rumble at the WWF. <laughs> right, right. Uh, and, and just seeing the differences, I think the thing that I find most fascinating about yeast is is doing these side-by-side um, fermentation experiences mm. or, or experiments and just seeing the difference in color and um, mouthfeel attenuation, not not just flavor and aroma profile, um, is pretty fascinating. You know, you have this wort that's been inoculated with four different strains and they are vastly different yep. beers. Um, and I think that that's probably like time and time again, I'm, I'm just blown away by how... Uh, how different um, each of those side by side, seemingly very similar beers end up tasting. Um, it's pretty cool. I was at um, Magic Rock Brewery in Huddersfield in the UK. It's, it's not. It's about an hour's drive from Sheffield. Um, yesterday, and um, just as I was tidying up from recording a podcast there, um, in their tap room behind sort of this caged area, there's their barrel store, and there was a lad in there. Um, siphoning out beers, putting them in a glass. So obviously, I took the opportunity to uh, have an exclusive taste of these sours, and he said that you know they'd they'd, um, they'd brewed one beer and then sort of put different yeast strains into each one in all these different barrels. And obviously, there, w- there was a commonality between them, but it was incredible. You know, there was there was this one sour that almost tasted like it had been infused with coffee beans. Mm-hmm. But then you had this other one, which just was like, uh, obviously not the, the same colour, but it was like a Flanders red, you know, it was, it was amazing. I, I Like, I love yeast. I could talk about yeast forever. <laughs> it's, um, Me too. <laughs> yeah, it's, you know, it's, I find it infinitely fascinating. Um, well, thanks for joining us today, Casey. Really appreciate it. Where, where can our yeah. listeners find out more about Imperial Yeast, where it's available? How can brewers get their hands on it? Can brewers in the UK get their hands on commercial strains and... Yeah. Um, uh, commercially, we, we prefer to work with breweries direct. So, you know, feel free to reach out to me um, directly and uh, we ship yeast all over the world. So um, that's not an issue uh, on the home scale, uh, on the amateur scale. Uh, the Malt Miller, yep. um, based in the UK, recently started carrying our products. Oh, I would say eight months ago. Um, and they've been fantastic to work with. Um, and, uh, I think that they do a very good job of keeping most of our strains in stock, um, and available for, uh, for homebrewers around the, uh, the UK. Yeah. He's a good guy, Rob, who runs it. Um, yeah, I, I've, yeah. I've placed an order to start some brewing again at home, um, yesterday, funnily enough. So cool. Yeah. yeah. F- from the Malt yeah, Miller. Been, <laughs> yeah, yeah. He's been fantastic. Like nothing but good things to say about him. So Real. we, we really appreciate the, uh, the opportunity for our, our yeast to be represented in his, uh, in his shop. Great. So what, what, what's the web address for people listening? If they want to find out more order. www.imperialyeast.com. Um, you can also email me directly. Uh, it's just Casey, C-A-S-E-Y at imperialyeast.com. Brilliant. Well, thanks very much. Yeah, you're very welcome. Thanks for having us. We really appreciate it. Thanks for tuning in to the Hot Forward podcast this week. Make sure you hit the subscribe button, follow us on social media at Hot Forward Beers, and visit our website, hotforward.beer, for more articles, insights, and a range of services aimed at helping you get ahead in the brewing and beer business. Until next time, cheers. Right,